Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Base Partners. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And we've got one of our strategic partners that's joining uh, us today, uh, a lovely chap by the name of uh, Duncan Casemore from Applaud. I'll get Duncan to introduce himself in a second, but I always need a partner in crime. We like to do things duet style at Lace and that today is my man himself, Aaron Albury. How are you? I am very well, Chris. I'm worried now that you're going to ask me to sing later with you, but let's <laughs> save the listeners from that, shall we? Well, I'll tell you what, let's, I'm, I'm going to go a bit left of field then. If you, if I forced you to choose a karaoke song, what would it be? I have a list, if I'm really honest. If we uh, pick one, taint, tainted Love. Tainted Love. That's soft soft sell, yes. Followed very Lovely. closely by Don't You Want Me Baby, Human League. And before Lovely. you ask, yes, I have got issues. <laughs> yeah. If we can move on. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm going to do the same with Duncan. Duncan, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and also talk to us a little bit about what you do as the uh, as the chief technology officer at uh, Plaud, and then a little bit about Plaud, and then I'm going to put you on the spot and say what would be your karaoke song. <laughs> well, I very much hope we can reserve some time at the end to sing. Um, hey, hey, Chris, thanks for having me back. Delighted to be here again. Yeah, I'm Duncan. I'm the uh, a co-founder and CTO at Applaud. And my job is to look after our product, product roadmap, product strategy, to keep innovating. So yeah, Applaud, uh, you may have heard of us. We're an experience layer, workforce experience layer. We care a lot about digital employee experience. That's what we'll be talking about today, in addition to um, our favorite karaoke song. So if I'm honest, I would say I'm split between, I'm a bit partial to the occasion, a bit of rapping. So a bit of Eminem would go down quite well for nice. me. But um, I think it's hard to be a bit of living on a prayer. Wow. Bon Jovi, I mean, that always gets people going, doesn't it? Oh. The classic, the absolute classic. I like a bit of Elton John. I like a bit, my wife does a really mean Dizzy Rascal, which is very odd. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on from that one because otherwise we'll go down some tangents that we'll, uh, we'll never recover from. So today's podcast is actually based on a white paper a report which the guys from Applaud have put together. It's the second iteration because they produced uh, this report in 2021. And so this is this is part two. This is the sequel uh, to that report. It's the 2022 Digital Employee Experience Trend Report. Uh, just for those people who uh, are listening in and perhaps, Duncan, haven't read the report or heard of the report or didn't know about the report from last year, could you just give us a bit of an overview before we start talking into some of those, delving into some of those trends that uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we've uh, that you guys have identified? Yeah, sure. So, it, I mean, it's called the Digital Employee Experience Trends Report. It's it's the second one that we've done. The um, we've we've surveyed hundreds of HR leaders, just under two hundred HR leaders, to get their views on this. We did this in twenty twenty one. We've done it again in twenty twenty two. What's really interesting about this one this time 
is we've been able to look at the difference in trends from one year to another. So we can see how the perspectives on digital employee experience has been changing from mid-COVID in 2021 to to now. Not quite post-pandemic yet, are we? But there are signs that we might be getting post-pandemic. So it's really interesting to see how some of those uh, how some of those perceptions and things have changed from last year to this year. Excellent. Thanks, Duncan. And as you say, I think the power of this is, is that ability, isn't it, to compare last year's to, to this year's. I think it's quite fascinating. I'm going to dive us in to some of the trends because there's quite a lot for us to, to talk about and cover. And if we can maybe just pick up on trend one, which is all about mobile first uh, and accessibility to experience and, and quite some interesting elements there, I think, for us to look at one one is still what is, I think, would be a surprising metrics to people in terms of the slow take up of uh, mobile accessible, which I think the report reflects is, is only 28% of organizations say that they are mobile accessible at a consumer grade at this point. And we'll come back to that in a second. But I think the the, the piece that is also needs to be read alongside that is that it's uh, about 55, 56% say that, the, um, that it's on their roadmap. Uh, and, what, and that's quite a large step up from last year. So mobile first, always a big, interesting topic for people, uh, I think even more so post-COVID. Were you surprised by some of these statistics? What should we be reading into it, Duncan? I think um, I, I was I was a little surprised. I think equally, I still think there's a bit of a misunderstanding around what are the expectations that we should be delivering in the enterprise with regards to mobile? Um, I mean, it mentions, it talks about mobile first, and I think there's a huge difference between what is actually mobile first and what professionals think of as having some kind of mobile capability. If we think about consumer grade, um, if you think about releasing an app in the public app store, it's really, really hard to do. So seven, I think 70% of apps that are installed on people's devices are never used again. So, you know, 30% churn within 90 days. We all, we all do it ourselves. We install apps, maybe even delete them five minutes after installing, right? Or use once and never use again. That is most apps. And these are apps that are have designed to, you know, designed to generate money. That is the business model for those apps. They, these are, you know, only the best consumer-grade apps win. And I think that is the standard that we're competing against in the workplace, and so, you know, when we talk about what well, we bought, you know, a number of different cloud systems, we maybe got a cloud talent acquisition system, a cloud performance system, maybe even a cloud core HR, whatever. We probably got mobile apps with those systems, but that is a very, very different thing to being mobile first and consumer grade, very different. And, you know, something like an onboarding journey or a transfer touches lots and lots of different departments. And typically our what mobile capability we do have is, is siloed. Into, into functional units, um, doesn't really span actual business processes or journeys particularly well. And we might be asking people to use, you know, a whole bunch of different applications, probably a bit clunky or very different experiences that is so disconnected from the reality of consumer grade and mobile first. So I think, you know, I think there's also an educational element in terms of understanding what we should aspire to get to. Do you know what's interesting about that? I'm exactly the same. I have so many apps on my iPhone. It's like the second page when you swipe across. And, and what really frustrates me is because they, they they host them almost dormant, don't they? When they go dormant, you have to click on them and then they re-upload and it drives you absolutely nuts. And what I thought was really interesting in your report is you talked about delivering, you've, and you've just talked about you know those apps that 
get onto the app store designed to make money. Apps that are aimed at employees are obviously designed more around productivity. So will businesses, I guess my question is, how realistic is it to have that same expectation from an employee perspective than it is from a, a consumer grade app? Because as a business, there's always going to be that emphasis that, you know, we need to invest in the technology into the stuff that's going to make us money, as opposed to, well, we're, we're investing in the technology and the stuff that's going to help productivity for our employees. Can we actually track that? You know, how realistic is it to expect that kind of approach that consumer grade approach and in the report it mentions that kind of amazon spotify type of service i think there's a, and i'll get aaron's view on this in a minute i think there's a couple of different perspectives on this so i think the first of all is a lot of the time we're buying buying technology um in hr to support hr's needs so you know we need a core hr system to track information we need we need all these different systems and mostly they benefit hr first and foremost primarily so the the tools and technologies that benefit the employee first are a different type of tool. You know, what one one of those tools cannot do both of those jobs well. Um, so I think we often focus on we often have a lot of tooling that really helps HR. And now we need to buy dedicated tooling that helps the employee. If the employee is not getting genuine value from those tools, they are going to be abandoned like any other app on your phone. Um, so I think that's the first thing in terms of, well, you know, that requires a slightly different buying attitude in terms of the mix of tooling we need. I think the other component is um, how practical and realistic is it to actually be able to achieve achieve those goals? And I think that's where perhaps HR teams are doing a brilliant job of reorganising themselves to be focused more around digital first and I think that requires a different operating model. And Aaron, you've probably got lots to say around that, but I think you know, it, it's, it requires deep change. Uh, it's, it's great points, Duncan. And yeah, you've read my mind. There's, there's quite a few implications, I think, of what you said. And just summarizing, I think, for this section, it's like, as you say, this is about the consumer-grade element of mobile first and that transition. So not just having a mobile app version of what is good for HR, but what is truly a consumer-grade for the end candidate alumni employee and that's the that's the hard bit to split and therefore it's about education about understanding that but i think one of the things that is driving the acceleration of that and probably why that second stat is in there around how many have it on their plan is things like the battle for talent right now right that's out there and trying to win over digital talent it's very hard to do with an old-fashioned non-mobile first technology when everybody else is moving in that direction you've got to differentiate yourself so i think that's one of the, the sort of factors that's influencing some possibly some of the feedback i think the other thing just talking on your point about operating model one of the things that strikes me when you think about those consumer grade type applications that you were describing that we all use in our day-to-day -day life is they all have an element of being able to listen to the customer and the feedback from that and react and change, hence why we have all the upgrades and the releases and stuff that go on and those kind of applications that are continually improving the experience. And I think that is still something that a lot of HR functions haven't figured out yet how to do or build into their operating model. How do I get that listening? How do I get the agility to respond and update and continually improve? Yeah, I, I, love, I, love, I love that. I think um, quite often I'm in workshops where we're designing for the empty chair, making assumptions about what employees need. And actually it'd be great if we could just get some employees and managers in the room and say, what do you think? Do you like this? Is this does this help you? Does it create value for you? Um, and just incorporate, incorporate employees and managers as part of that design process. 
agreed. Shall we move on, I think, to trend two? Because we I think we could have a whole podcast. I was just thinking uh, we could probably spend hours here. We'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll need to cut it down for the listeners. But, you know, each of the trends are really, really fascinating. Like even the second trend, hyper-personalized employee experiences on the rise. And then one of the stats is um, 29% of tech firms offering hyper-personalization digitally across other industries, it's 10%. I thought that was really, really interesting. And the first thing that pops into your mind is, oh, well, surely that's a bit obvious, isn't it? Because, you know, high-tech firms, they're going to be able to adopt these kind of technology, that sort of thing. I mean, is it is that the reason, do you think, Duncan? Is it just because tech firms are naturally, by their very design, very fast-paced, quick to react? Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that because um, that industry stands out and everything else is pretty much static around 10%. So it's really interesting to see such a difference for that for that one industry. It could it could be that. Um, I also wonder if tech firms understand more what hyper-personalized is potentially and, and how to leverage it. Um, maybe they also have other platforms. I'm not sure that everyone even knows really what hyper-personalization is or what it what it could mean or how far you should go with it too. Um, so I think it could be quite subjective in nature. Do you want to just give that kind of your from your perspective that idea of hyperpersonalization just as a as a base level for people listening in? Then, yeah. So I mean, I, I don't think we need to get too carried away with it. So we don't we don't need dedicated communications for you know a, a finance director wearing red in the Boston office um, on a Monday, for example. You know, we can get carried away with it too. But I think every employee is in a different place, right? Uh, a mixture of working in the office or remote, different place in their career. Some have just joined. Some are some have been there for several years. Some are looking at their next promote, promotion and progression. And I think a lot of it is about thinking about where people are in their cycle, and how do we and how do we tailor the experience for them? Um, mix that with some some basic adjustments in communication. You know, so that we are targeting people by country or potentially by job family or even the type of demographic that they are seniority. Maybe I think just a little bit of subtle tailoring there can actually make quite an enormous difference. And in most cases, that's where we're looking at in terms of personalization. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hyper personalization still with, with relatively broad brushstrokes, I think, at this stage for for HR, but it can make a significant difference if you kind of look at those different populations. Are they how often are they connected, disconnected, where they are in that sort of managing of people and so on? As you say, Duncan, it's uh, it's an interesting element to it. I, I wonder actually on the tech firms piece whether part of that uh, difference you're seeing in the report is is simply because they've been fighting the battle for digital talent longer in the marketplace than some of the other sectors, and so they're got a bit of a head start on what makes a difference to people's experience in that space. That could be one of the elements. I'm sure there's many things that lend themselves, as you say, generally as a culture, they typically are, are, are um, better at understanding what hyper-personalization means. Mm. I think it's really interesting looking at what that can do to differentiation of an experience for, for people. I don't know if you see that with any of your clients, whether you see it um, them reflecting on their ability to attract more talent through personalization. Well, I think you know, the um, the experience runs deep from beginning to end, doesn't it? From the first point you hear about a potential employer right the way through to after you've left, and I think you've you've got to you've got to address the whole the whole piece. Technology is a pretty small component of that, really. But I think where it can help is it can provide 
nudges and everyday triggers to managers to just listen to help listen to cues and do things hey it's been you know it's been six months since you had a performance conversation with with jane doe you know now's a good time to now's a good time to have a quick check-in or uh, x has been working remotely now for three months how's it going you know is is the is the environment comfortable you've not had any facetime with with your team for a while is it worth sort of organizing a collaboration event if you can um so i think you know those sorts of things can help actually amplify the human element of it too without getting too bogged down with technology and again those are sort of experiences that actually make a difference to people's satisfaction at work as you say nudges and nudges and prompts can be part of that as as, mm. as, as well i'm going to move us on into trend three if i may which is i think you know clearly a, a major effect of covid so hybrid and remote and anywhere working are here to stay and, and no surprise, a very high stat there, 94% of businesses have at least some workers who are remote and 59 have a specific code of contact for remote workers, which is really interesting on two fronts. I think one, that it's still a relatively low number given how many people have remote workers now and have been hiring people out away from their head offices, not just um, working remotely, but living and, uh, and engaging completely remotely. But the other interesting stat side of that is that it's as you as you highlight, I think it's up from twelve percent the previous year. So good progress, but still work to be done on on there. So in terms of those statistics, what kind of conclusions should we be draw, drawing, Duncan? Well, I think we've we've kind of got used to remote anywhere hybrid hybrid work, and I think we're in this place where we it's quite polarizing, isn't it? We we have some people who who believe that, that what we have now is how it's going to remain indefinitely we have people who are sort of sitting back hoping that it's going to return to exactly what it was before and everything in between that and i think one thing is sure is that no one really knows how to get this right and what the future looks like anyone who claims they've got an answer to the perfect answer to this is probably lying and i think what we have to do is be quite agile and experimental in nature try out new ideas try new things you know how do we how do we keep that anywhere workforce engaged and connected and so the best that we can do is to become more agile as an organization so that we can try out things we can adapt to change more quickly things like no code platforms as a technology can help underpin some of that speed and agility but i think you know that that's that's the best we can do is be ready to adapt to change and try things out see what works see what doesn't work um, whilst we're tr trying to figure out what is the best way best way to gain advantage on this uh, certainly i think you're right it's polarizing and certainly that's what i hear i think it's, it's not one size fits all as an answer every culture and every organization is going to have a different take and potentially a different take for the different workforces that they have and, and that's one of the things that, that clearly is is coming to the surface and i think that's links a bit to the per hyper personalization i also hear quite a lot to your point about agility a lot of organizations worrying about having the, the potentially losing some of the good habits that they've developed during the pandemic around connecting in other workforces, democratizing the voice of their employees, you know, the ability to work in a, in a virtual related um, environment and, and sort of losing some of that when they come back to the office and potentially isolating people who have been connected and then in effect exaggerating that effect. So it's, um, it's one of the things definitely to look out for. Uh, and as you say, the, it's it's that ability to test, listen, like listen again, right, uh, and and respond in an agile way. I love that. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have a, a fairly big 
education piece to do as well at, at the end of this, especially those who've been working remotely for a year or two. Like what does even coming back to a work in, to a physical work environment mean, even if it's one day or two days a week? Do we going to have to re-educate, re-board employees about what it actually means? You know, what is life like in the office? How, how do we behave? Um, how has it changed? And I think there's a there's a quite a significant piece there that we haven't really unsurfaced yet. Yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? Because we literally went from one type of life to a completely other type of life. And this part in the middle now is an adaptation in itself. And I can give Lace as a really, really good example. You know, we were, we've always been a flexible business in terms of what we offer, but there's always been people in the office and we've tended to do activities together as a collective, you know, we're a small, relatively small business. Suddenly we were pushed also, we were working remotely. So suddenly we're doing like team gatherings on Zoom calls or Teams or whatever it is. And now, as of, you know, last summer when we were started to go back into the office, we're having to almost think twice as hard. Right. Well, now we've got people all turning up because we're going to do some kind of an activity together in the office. But actually, we've got a whole bunch of our workforce that are still remote. So we need to find a way in which this is going to work. It's not just a case of, you know, let's all do a pub quiz in a room together now. You've got to find the balance from that perspective. So I think that's that's certainly interesting. And I'm going to move us on to just trend number four, actually. And you kind of touched on it, which is around that more agility being demanded from HR. And this is a really interesting stat. So I'd just like you to reflect on this, if that's okay, Duncan. And then also Aaron as well. 50% of organizations can't update HR portals without IT. I think that's absolutely mad because it just completely takes away the ability to be able to move more rapidly, to be able to if you've done your listening and you want to be able to action something to, to then be reliant on other departments is, is a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, some, some HR organizations really are, really do have a brilliant digital mindset these days. And, and, and I know we get, I know we get differences in competency across organizations, but actually a lot of them really have quite strong views on the technology that's used and what it can, what it can do and what it can achieve and what it can't as well, and how that can underpin the HR strategy. If you're, if you're at the mercy of other teams, it slows you down so much. It stifles innovation. And um, how can we be agile when things move so quickly, even even now, you know things are still changing on a weekly basis. How can you how can you innovate and be agile if you're at the mercy of other teams to make small changes for you? And so I think it's not just about finding more agile, no code platforms that we can use ourselves. It's about how do we how do we take complete ownership of that from a HR function and really have more autonomy. To make the right choices about the technology we use that underpin you know a broader hr strategy aaron i don't know if you want to add to that yeah no i think thanks Duncan. i i couldn't agree more and it's a great point you make about the ownership because i think one of the the challenge there's, there's two challenges here one is the technology you're using right and are you using technology that is no code and easy to, con uh, to configure versus technology that has that you know, the requirement for coding uh, still embedded in it and you therefore need to rely on more specialist skill sets. That's, that's one element. The second, though, I think is, is equally important now, which is do you have the right capability support models inside the HR function to actually execute on this and who is accountable and where are the where are the editorial rights, where are the checkpoints and governance to ensure things are issued out in the right way? All of that 
part comes with this capability and needs to be explicitly called out. I think in the operating models for HR in the future, it's up there with you know digital, uh, up there with um, analytics and insight, experience, listening, all those sorts of good points that we talked about before. That need to be new skills in operating models for HR. This one, I think, is 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 equally up there uh, in terms of capability and. Um, it still still is being designed in and I think until both those things come together that stat is going to continue to, to slowly rise but you're not going to get to the top of it yet so so true i love that and i think that we're also seeing a shift away not away but a shift to buy things that are that are more platform centric that give us a bit more flexibility rather than sort of buying off the shelf applications we need things where we can do just a little bit more with them and have a bit more power and flexibility to do the things that we need with them and it's a different type of enterprise tooling as well and enterprises tend to be fairly slow to react and bought fairly older monolithic um, platforms or um, off-the-shelf SaaS applications, neither of which quite fit the need here of where of where this is going. So I think it's also a slight change in the kind of platforms and technology that can help underpin that innovation too. Um, it's probably a good segue into trend five, which is a little bit of a different trend, I think, Duncan, in terms of some of the others. We've talked quite a lot about the experience and the technology and, and how that is deployed for people and, their, and, and how they perceive it and, and engage with it. But this is, this is a slightly broader topic on experience, which is around sort of employee well-being. And Trend 5 talks to employers must do more to employ to, to manage employee burnout. Some really interesting statistics and numbers in here if you get a chance to read the report. But the uh, the one that I think we wanted to pick up on was the 64% um, of people across the UK support the idea of a four-day working week. So it's quite an interesting statistic. I wonder what else you might have had in terms of response back around that 64% and do people view, do you, think, do you think people actually have a, an equal view of what a four-day working week would look like? Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? There's um, definitely studies out there that suggest that a four-day working week is creates a happier, more productive workforce. There's also plenty of sceptics uh, around it too. And I've and I've I've seen plenty of people who have worked uh, compressed four-day working week. Now, it's different to a four-day working week, but a compressed four-day working week. And actually, you know, the expectation is, is it's a pretty tough work pattern, actually. The expectation is you're, you're expected to do, obviously, five days working four, but very often you are responding to emails and doing things on the day off that you should, you, where you should be having a day off, which kind of leads into, you know, the, the, the right to disconnect and um, some of the other ideas that are sort of floating around in terms of trying to help with that work-life balance. Um, I think it's hard to keep a remote workforce engaged and excited and happy compared to being in a physical workplace with their colleagues anyway. So that has an impact on well-being. And then you've got the added element of just a complete blur between what is home and what is work life when you're in the same physical space. So it's, again, I think we need to be experimental and try different things and see what works and what doesn't work. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all um, but there is, yeah, there's going to be a lot of change in this area. Yeah, sure. it's, it's, it's a great point, Duncan. I, I, I always remember when in discussions with people about moving to just four day working weeks, uh, not as a wholesale, but individually, that it was always something that, you know, we would debate at length because of the habit, as you say, when you do a four day week, that you still end up doing something on the fifth. And sometimes it's easier to do a three day week and have two days where it's clear water. But certainly I think that that point around 
compression versus the shorter week for the same pay, which I know is where a lot of people have been heading towards and, and researching and looking at the Nordics or inspiration and so on. I think there's a there's a real difference there. And one of the things we've been debating is how does that apply if you're a client where the work you're doing is shift environments, for example, or manufacturing plants or a health and safety type environment that requires it, it adds a complexity around shift management instantly if you start moving to a compressed four day a week or four days a week so or rather a short week rather on four days so quite a lot of implications for different industries to different workforces and i think that lends itself duncan to your good point there which is around it you need to be agile and test this stuff and, and start thinking about it but um it's going to be very interesting to see how it develops i think this will be one of the major trends over the next couple of years i have no doubt and we'll start to see more businesses. The, the Pandora's box is open. It's going to start coming through. It's just uh, not all businesses are equal and all businesses can, uh, can cope with doing it. And it'd be interesting to see if the government weighed in and sort of had any sort of incentives either. It'd be really interesting to see. I mean, I think if there's a takeaway for listeners, it's perhaps that um, too much onus is put on the employee to try and disconnect themselves. And actually, I think it'd be great to educate managers to maybe just think twice about sending that email at 7 p.m. at night um, or 9 p.m. at night that, you know, where the employee feels a moral obligation to reply. And I think there's a lot we can do in terms of just simple, quick wins and training, educating managers about actually what does it mean to disconnect um, outside of work hours? Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. It's, there's, as you said, you almost need to stress test some of these ideas. It's, all right, what is a four-day, maybe it's a five-day working week, but there's a, a recognised period of, of personal well-being that needs to be, that could be factored in, you know, things like that. But this has been really, really fascinating. As always, um, we're just coming towards the end of today's podcast. What we will do is we'll put a note in the show notes for a link towards the uh, trends report itself. Definitely have a look at it. There are some fascinating insights, some some great bit of work and research that the guys at Applaud have done. We are at we are out of time for today's podcast, but we will definitely be getting Duncan in and uh, his team at Applaud for future podcasts. As one of our strategic partners, we love to talk to them at Applaud, and we will continue to do so. Uh, if you'd like to get our podcast on you can download it through all of the usual channels that you get podcasts apple podcasts alexa spotify and you can go onto our website as well lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast is the short link which will take you to our insight section and we'll also do a summary of this uh, in a future blog as well but that's it from me today duncan thank you very much for joining us as always thank you so much for having me i loved it yeah it's been great as always and, Dar and darren you're not Darren. I've, I've combined Duncan and Aaron together to create Darren. Sorry. Aaron. <laughs> another Thank another you, Aaron. And, and up until that point, Chris, an excellent experience. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? We won't even edit that out. I think I'll just start calling you Darren from now on. This has been the HR <laughs> on the Offensive podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next time. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.